Welcome. I'm Todd Nostel with Growing for Good, a podcast where we're all about plants. Join us weekly for interviews with various professionals discussing their work with plants and how it relates to the rest of us. If you eat, breathe, or just love the things that grow, you may find this podcast informative and resourceful. Thanks for being here. Let's begin. Today, in episode two, we'll meet with Megan Neary, an apothecary manager in Whitefish, Montana, working on SpiritWorks Herb Farm. We'll discuss her growth into this role, talk about some herbs, and see what it's like to be on the business end of things. Be sure to look for links in the bio and give their Facebook a like and follow. Let's begin the episode. We are here with Megan Neary. She's an apothecary manager. We'll also be joined with some vocal chicks in the background, some baby chickens. Uh, hi, Megan. Good morning. Hi, Todd. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing good. Uh, thanks for joining us. This is great. Yeah. So you've been an apothecary manager. You're pretty new to this, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, as of January. So, And it's March now, so just a couple months here. Cool. Nice. Mm-hmm. And you're getting kind of into the groove of becoming an apothecary manager. Yeah, I'd say, you know, figuring it out one day at a time. Sweet. So uh, you kind of came into this role, um, you, f- you found the farm back in early August, right? Yep. Awesome. Yeah. Go ahead and explain that, what happened. Yeah, so I was here over the summer doing conservation work, and my service ended August 15th. So I was looking around to stay in the valley because I fell in love with the area. And um, while I did some awesome conservation projects, I didn't get to hike nearly enough in Glacier or explore the other beautiful places here in Montana, especially Northwest Montana. And so I really wanted to stay. um, And I have been telling people ever, I don't know, for 10 years now that my retirement plan is to have my own farm. So I figured it would be a good... uh, lesson, I guess, you know, getting, getting firsthand experience with farm work. And so I started putting my contact info out there and, and looking for different farms to work in the valley. Um, and then I went on a climbing trip with my buddies and came back in, a, in two days. And uh, I got contacted back by a local farm called Pur- Purple Frog Farms. And they had recommended me to where I'm at right now, which is SpiritWorks Herb Farm in Whitefish, Montana, and started work that following Monday. So it was a pretty quick turnover. <laughs> yeah. So th- this apothecary is, is different from a normal one you, you would expect. In, in some ways regarding the farm, go ahead and ex- explain some of uh, how, how this one's different, how you're kind of curating this, this new uh, line of products that this farm has. Sure, sure. So I, I feel like when people think about what an apothecary is, they think all of these lotions and potions and massive walls of herbs, and that's not too far from what we have here right now. We have um, lots and lots of herbs all stacked up on shelves in, 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 um, in our apothecary. But what's different about what we're doing here is that um, the apothecary is on the farm. So every other apothecary I've been in has been in a city or something like that, and who knows where they're sourcing their herbs from. But, but what we're doing here is growing our over 160 different types of herbs, all of different varieties for a lot of them as well, and um, stocking them 
right, you know, right here. We keep our herbs as fresh as possible, and we have a lot of different tools that we can use to prove that our plants are some of the best plants, you know. Um, and uh, we're we're really focused on generating healthy soil, so we can generate the healthiest plants. Um, and that being said, you use those plants for whatever people see fit. Because we also are not doctors here. I am not a doctor. So <laughs> even though I run the apothecary, I cannot give people prescriptions of, you know, what things to take. But um, I think it's going a step further. What we're doing here at SpiritWorks is, is, is helping the population realize that there is an alternative to um, pharmaceuticals that's more in line with a holistic way of living. So um, that's just a little bit about what we're doing here. And in terms of how we grow the herbs, there's a lot of intention um, and there's a lot of, of, excuse me, there's a lot of um, positive energetics, I guess, I'm not sure what you want to call it, that we put into our end product. So I think that's also something that makes what we're doing here special because sure, anyone can, can grow, you know, let's say uh, ashwagandha, um, well, maybe not anybody it has a particular zone growing requirement, but regardless, you know, anyone can try growing anything, but, um, if you aren't putting your intention into, into what you're doing, um, you know, from my experience, it, it really affects the end product. So you've seen it firsthand. So what you were talking earlier about some of the tools you use to identify of the top notch plants that you have. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Can you go into some of those? Sure. So um, one tool we use, which I am very stoked on right now, is called a refractometer. And mm. its units are measured in what's called a BRICS. Now, I won't go into the details of, of what this is exactly, but essentially what this machine, what this uh, device is doing is it's testing the uh, sugars in the plant, right? And that's directly associated with um, photosynthesis and if that's working optimally or not. So basically, the higher bricks you have, the more nutrients are being distributed throughout the plant, at least, you know, in terms of sugar, which if the sugar is being spread through the plant, everything else is too, um, for the most part, assuming that your plant looks well. But um, yeah, so, so the refractometer is one way we, we measure uh, when the plant is, is at the most optimal harvesting time and um we can also keep really good logs of of i guess um the way i like to think of it if you think of like a sinoidal wave it's kind of the the breath of the plant in that the bricks will be going up and down throughout the day so it's a way of keeping track of the life of that plant um some other tools we use are it may seem obvious, but visual inspection, which in my opinion is the most valuable. Um, when you start working with plants, you realize that it's just like any other living thing. They just work on a bit of a slower time scale and not even, that's not even the case, like calendula and other flowers that bloom and close throughout a day. Um, yeah, but, but anyway, so visual inspection of the plant, making sure that there's, you know, the leaves are the color they're supposed to be and there's no wilting and things like this. Um, let's see other tools we use. So there's a lot of tools we use like temperature thermometers and, um, pH strips and things like that to measure soil quality, because as I said earlier, direct correlation as, there. Yeah, 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 direct correlation. I mean, it, it, it's, it's 
if you if you think about it, it's pretty obvious. Yeah, I mean, where is it going to get those nutrients? It has to get it from the soil, right? Because that's where the root system are. It's basically the mouth of the plant. So uh, we've got to make sure we're feeding our plants the best food possible. Um, and those are those are the main tools we use uh, for at least plant quality and sharing that. Awesome. So yeah, I've I've been seeing the the stock that you have in the apothecary, and it's it's pretty intense. You know, even for the for the date of of harvest, it still has an amazing smell. Uh, one thing that I've seen when I go into other apothecaries is the different qualities of of the herbs they have. What are some things that really kind of make you know for the at home herb grower or someone who has wants their own home apothecary? What are some things that they can do to keep the freshest stuff they have? Well, storage is really important. So um, one, make sure you're buying quality herbs and spices. So once you have that, um, I'll talk first about herbs and I'll get a bit more into spices. But so with with your herbs, when you first receive them or buy them or or what have you, uh, take them from whatever container, whether it be paper or plastic or whatever you got it in and put it in an airtight glass jar or a glass container of some sort because this helps uh, maintain the quality of your herb for as long as possible. Another thing too that we do here at Herb that at Spiritworks Herb Farms is we try and keep our plants in the holest form possible because when you leave it in the whole form, it helps with the longevity of, of those medicinal qualities of the plants. And so let's say you bought a bunch of raspberry leaves um, from us and so they'll be in their whole form as, as much as possible. Then you wanna you wanna store those in, in your glass containers in the whole form until you're ready to use it. Let's say you're making a tea, then you take it out, you can crush it up with your hand or mortal pesto, maybe not so much because we don't want it too fine for a tea. But um, regardless, you, you can um, uh, preserve the freshest qualities by doing that. And then the same thing goes for spices because if you were getting, um, let's say, cloves, and you want the freshest clove, you, you, it's, it's best to get a mortal and pestle and, and grind it up right before you use it. That's how you're gonna get um, maximum freshness. But uh, yeah, also you wanna make sure you're storing uh, all of these things in a cool, dry place. Um, preferably well-ventilated, but you know, your cupboard will be just fine if you have an airtight, airtight glass container. I've, I've noticed some of the apothecaries that I go into, it feels like some sort of uh, witch voodoo dark space, you know, all the dark black painted shelves. Does that matter for, for uh, storing herbs and spices? Well, I, I, think, I think that goes into one's personal beliefs. Um, I notice in myself that, you know, when I create a space with a particular intent, whether that to be some dark ominous place, then a lot of the times when you're going into that space, you're gonna feel dark and ominous. So if you have a large herb cupboard or um, maybe a place where you hang and dry your own herbs, just give it a little thought about, well, what is going on there? What kind of colors do I have? What kind of arrangements do I have? So, um, and you can even extend that to, to apothecaries in general, you know, I mean, if you look, they're, they're all so different because the owners of each apothecary have a different idea of what it means to be into herbalism and, and um, what they want their customers or clients to see and feel when they walk in. And I think with herbalism, a lot of uh, what's important is, is um, 
the other person, right? The customer. It's not just that you, you take this herb and all of a sudden you're cured. It's, it's that it, the herbs are helping your body do what your body naturally does, which is heal and um, repair. So, yeah. Yeah, I, that's, that's a big reason a lot of people go into apothecaries. And I want to talk for a minute about uh, medicinal benefits of plants. And you'd mentioned the word alternatives to pharmaceuticals. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm someone who doesn't think that they're necessarily an alternative. I think of herbs as the traditional medicine. They are what pharmaceuticals are derived off. Do you have anything you want to kind of go into that realm? Well, well and I agree. I mean, I even, I even hesitated very briefly before I used the word alternative, but it's just a fact of the matter that these days it is alternative medicine that we have gone so far, at least in America, right? We're, we're here in the United States of America and, um, in this country, we do not use plants like our ancestors did. We do not cook with these plants. We do not take them in teas or, or anything like this. Um, and I agree with you completely that pharmaceuticals, a lot of them, not all of them, of course, but um, a lot of them, especially in their infancy, were a derivative of some kind of plant product because, again, that's what people have been using for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. They've been using plants to help them. You know, they'll, they'll make some kind of... Uh, tea to help with digestion problems or something like this and uh, we've gone very far from that so I think this generation and um, the younger generations below that are really starting to realize like whoa we you know food is medicine it, it, it really is and um, we've we've kind of gone away from that and herbalism I think uh, it, it's growing in popularity and helping us realize what our ancestors knew <laughs> and what we have forgotten. Awesome so as an apothecary manager you're seeing a, you know a larger crowd coming through of, of what generation so is it mostly young people that are coming to your apothecary to buy herbs? Well, what's interesting is, is um, so far it's been a, a big mix of people. And part of that's probably because our apothecary is very much in its infancy. We just built it in November, and most people aren't looking to come visit a farm in the middle of a Montana winter. So um, that and also the population that we have here is, is very eclectic in that there's a lot of young people who come here to ski in the winters. And so the folks I've been seeing have been anywhere from mid-20s all the way up into, you know, 60s, 70s. Um, what I find interesting is the people I talk to who get the most excited that there's a local apothecary. And um, those people have been mostly younger in their 20s and or older, as in like 60s, 70s. And, and um, these, these people in the older generations, at least some of the folks I've spoken with, have talked about how their grandmothers would use you know, hawthorn, let's say, they'd pick the berries and use that for um, whatever they use that for. And um, she'd ask me, do you have this? Do you have this? Oh, my grandma would use this. Oh, this is. And, and so that, that's interesting because I feel like we're getting back to that a little bit more where these things are becoming um, available for use. But then the younger generation's interested in it in a whole new way. It's not that they're like, oh, my grandma used this. It's, it's that they recognize there's this whole other world that they have no idea about. Um, and they want to start, you know, it, it, it seems like people want to live healthier lifestyles these days. It's, it's hip and trendy, right, to live healthy lifestyles. And um, 
herbs and teas are, are one way to help aid in that path of wellness. So the younger generation, I think, is interested um, in, in these things for, for that reason. Is there any wisdom that you've gained since your time here that you'd like to share with the younger generation? I've, one thing I've noticed with working with herbs is that there's not one cure-all. There's, right. there's no such right. thing as the magic pill. Uh, do you want to kind of go into sure. some advice with that? Yeah, and you know, I think uh, so. My, my generation, I'm, I'm 24 years old right now, and um, people my age and younger. One thing I think we've lost, which <laughs> I don't know if, if it's really related to herbs necessarily, but it's patience, patience, mm. and just doing not doing nothing. But um, I guess that's along with patience and waiting and. Uh, people need to recognize that your body certainly certainly can heal itself. And what's important in that healing cycle is that people allow their body's time to rest and recover and then be active. And then, you know, it, 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 it's, it's a feedback. And what people want is, like you mentioned earlier, that little pill that fixes them instantly. And that's not how herbs are. Like I, like I said before, they're an aid to wellness. Right, so it's not that you start taking this one particular herb and all of a sudden your blood pressure is going to be perfect. No, it's 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 a it's a holistic approach to life. So you have to look at well, how how often am I exercising? Am I sitting at a desk all day? How is my stress levels? Am I do I have good social interactions? Am I supporting my family? Am I living my life's purpose? So answering all of these questions and focusing on all of those components of life are what make herbs work in my opinion um, because they force you to wait rest and let your body do the healing instead of relying on some kind of outside source so um, I, I think that's something that my generation and the younger could could really stand to to learn or at least be um, aware of is not expecting instantaneous results yeah, I've, I've noticed myself catching up with that sometimes. So I'm, I'm guilty. I'll say that as well. I'm in that generation as well. Uh, so herbs are uh, fairly expansive. You, you said you mentioned you have 160 plus herbs on, on this location. Yep. Yep. Uh, that's, that's a lot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, some things that blow my mind with it is a lot of these herbs, I would have, back in my, my youth, I would have considered a weed like this is something that grows in the wild like if i if i knew the name of it at that point in time like milkweed i was like oh yeah it's good for butterflies but it's ugly and it makes this weird goopy stuff and you cut it down <laughs> yeah but uh so what are some things that you're excited about with bringing in this kind of herbalism uh into your own life into these wild Ooh, plants okay well um i have two thoughts about that one you mentioned how how you thought growing up these uh, plants were weeds and I think that's a really interesting concept and and um, something that most people have right I had certainly before coming here stinging nettle I was like no way are you kidding me I you know I hate stinging nettle I don't want it to touch me um, but but from being here what I realized and actually there's the, it reminds me of uh, there's this tea company I think it's traditional medicinals and they have a little tea saying that um, a weed is is a judgment <laughs> And I love that. I think it's so true because it really is. I mean, every plant there, uh, I guess not every plant, but you know, most plants, they have some kind of benefit, you know? Um, and 
And so I think it's funny that people classify them as herbs and spray them with these chemicals to try and kill them when it's like, really, your plants are just telling you something, you know? Um, um, and we can, I, we can get into that for another time. But um, anyway, your question was, sorry, uh, I got off track uh, there. You said, what? Uh, what, kind of, what are you excited about with uh, different types of herbs and herbalism that are coming into your own life? Oh, since right. Since you've been here, since you've kind of taken a plunge in the deep end a little bit. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, well, it's something I've always been interested in, and it's it's just been so wonderful to be able to indulge in that curiosity. And um, I'm a pretty intuitive person, so being able to work with these herbs firsthand, and from, from the time they're seeds to the time I harvest them, dehydrate them, and put them in storage, it, it really helps me um, understand that personality of that herb. And I think when you start having that understanding of that, that plant's personality, you start gaining an intuition of how you can use it for your own health. And so I'm most excited about that aspect is just um, knowing which ones to use when um, and, and when my body is saying, you know, you should really take some lemon balm this morning or, um, you know what, maybe you need a little bit of marshmallow root. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, yeah, so so I guess, I guess that's part of what I'm most excited about. But the other part too is just um, being, I guess, learning how to farm, really. I mean, uh, that's what I've been doing here is, is learning how to cultivate not only medicinal herbs, but also vegetables, which is what we grow. And it's, it's something so important. Um, and, and I, I'm very happy that I'm learning these things. So in your dream farm, do you plan to have more of your own vegetables or are you going to have all your herbs and flowers and things? What do you, well, like? <laughs> my dream garden. Yeah. There's a lot going on in my dream garden, <laughs> but, um, I want it to be able to sustain me as much as possible. Now I recognize I'm not going to be able to be a hundred percent. Well, I can, but I really like things like cayenne pepper. And if I'm living in an environment like this, um, I'm not going to want to put in the work to do a high tunnel with a hoop house in the middle of it for my... Anyway, so um, I want my dream farm to be uh, the most sustaining as possible. So that's going to include vegetables, which I'd like to grow all my own vegetables. Um, and then also cultivate as many plants as I can. And like I said, I've been gaining an intuition for the plants' personalities. So I have a few that I'm already like, I'm absolutely going to have holy basil at my doorstep, you know, if I can. And I'm absolutely going to have basil and oregano and all the things that I cook with. And I want to have them easily accessible so I can cook with the fresh herb um, as much as possible. But yeah, that's a bit, a bit about my dream garden. <laughs> Uh, I have some questions written down here. I would like to talk to you a little bit about, um, let's see here, some advice you would give, uh, well, I guess not, not necessarily advice, but the difference between going to an apothecary and finding what you need for yourself and then going to an herbal practitioner. Ah, It's a huge yes. difference. Huge, huge, yeah. So... Well, first and foremost, I highly recommend if anyone is interested in naturopathic medicine or herbalism that they see a professional, certainly. Because um, while you can do what I'm doing, which is, you, you know, understanding, oh, this herb makes me feel this way. Oh, this one makes me feel this way. There are some that um, 
if you start taking an access, can cause bodily harm. So it's really important to understand what you're using and how often and if that's good for your own personal health or not. And um, I guess that's that's what I encourage people the most. It's asking themselves, well, what what is my... Her, what's my intention with going to this apothecary and buying these herbs? Is it just to experiment and, and see how these things make me feel? Or is it I'm trying to find um, an herb that helps me with my blood pressure? Because if it's that second, if it's that second answer to that question, then you should really go see a professional. Yeah. yeah. I was having a conversation with someone the other day about herbs for their pre-diabetes. And I was like, oh, you should, <laughs> you should probably go see someone. Yeah. Um, I was like, yeah, that's a pretty dangerous thing. Right. I had written on here uh, about your background and it says that you're, you're formerly, you were into geology or you have a, uh, some sort of major like that. And I've, mm -hmm. I've heard you geek out before about uh, <laughs> soil conditions. And we talked briefly in the last episode about Nicole Masters. Um, she is a consultant for soil conditioning. So yeah, she's actually an education specialist, a biology education specialist, and she has a company called Soil Integrity out of New Zealand. Awesome. Well, I, and how, how do you feel your past in geology is going to translate into this new realm of herbalism that you've kind of fallen into? Right, that's an interesting question. Um, and something that's been on my mind a lot because I do, I love rocks and I love mountains and um, geology has always been so fascinating to me. But what I'm starting to realize is that it's so interconnected with everything in the plant world as well, because that's where your nutrients are coming from. All of those, um, you know, calcium, potassium and um, things like that is coming from the rock that's been ground away and then brought up into the soil, at least turned into the soil. There's a whole, you can take a whole class on, on how soil's made, right? But, um, so I guess the, the true and honest answer to that question is I don't know, <laughs> but I'm excited to figure it out. And um, I, I'm, I'm super curious about how rocks form. I, that's, that's what I like to know is how things work, how things are made. And geology was one way that I could figure out how mountains are built or, or why there's a particular um, geothermal energy hot spot in this area. And so translating that now into, well, why is the soil clay-like? And is that related at all to the bedrock? Um, or perhaps like the soil is lacking in this one mineral, is that due to, you know, and I think the answer is yes, it's certainly due to the geology in the area. And then figuring out how to make what you have work um, to the best of your, of your ability. But yeah, so, so we'll see. I'm not sure where geology is going to put me, but I think soil is really fast, excuse me, really fascinating. And perhaps that's one way to, to link what I'm doing now with my background. We'll, we'll have to do a follow-up on that, see where you've gotten. <laughs> uh, so you've been doing this uh, only since, you know, January. Uh, mm -hmm. Apothecary manager, I should right, say. Right, right. Uh, what are some surprises? Uh, some, some, oh my gosh! What are some surprises <laughs> that you've encountered uh, while you've been working with herbs? What, what's kind of like blown your mind? <laughs> well, the first thing that comes to mind was my experience harvesting feverfew, and I think everyone who starts harvesting medicinal herbs will experience something similar to this at some point. I think you've shared with me a story of your own with lavender, <laughs> but anyway, so I was. Harvesting feverfew, um, which is this beautiful little white flower, kind of looks like chamomile if you're not familiar. 
And I knew nothing about it. I just went and I started harvesting it. Um, and it, I think I, I was doing that for a few hours. And then I went in to help cook lunch. I just felt so relaxed. I mean, relaxed <laughs> is an understatement. I was like, hey, man, just take it easy. I think it, take me, it took me a half hour to cut an onion. Like, <laughs> I, was just, I was just in this other world. And um, I started asking asking uh, the folks I was with, I was like, so do you guys, what, do you guys know anything about feverfew? Because I feel really nice right now. And apparently it's an anti-anxiety and, and you can use it for um, um, calming, calming you down. And it has a bunch of other wonderful properties as well. But I was like, oh, I see. <laughs> it makes sense. So um, yeah, that's, that's been a, a surprise, I guess. And um, something really interesting is that when you when you're spending this time with these plants, you start to intuitively realize what they're used for, which is amazing, right? Because our ancestors didn't have books, you know, to tell them eat this plant. It makes you feel fuzzy inside, <laughs> you know. So, um, so that's been really cool. Is is to kind of step back away from. I'm I'm a big book person. I love <clears throat> reading and learning about new things, but just taking a step back and just really relying on my own intuition to figure out how these herbs are used. It's been really cool. Yeah. I'm curious about some of these, uh, personalities that you've spoken of of the different plants i'm just gonna let you go to town go ahead and explain like three different personalities if you can I, sure you've been working with a bunch on this farm so I... yeah um well let's see <laughs> so i guess um a few that come to mind one is this is gonna sound really weird but dill and um other plants in that family they like fennel fennel's also in, in the same family as dill to me <laughs> when i smell them or taste them um they kind of have like a like a dopey personality in my mind so if you were to think of of snow white and the seven dwarves i, I think dill and all of that that family would be dopey <laughs> um not to say that it like makes you dumb or anything like that but just to it's just kind of like I don't know. It helps you loosen up and not take life so serious. Um, and then Rose is very sophisticated and loving. I, I, I actually really enjoy picking rose petals. Even Okay, I don't like the thorns. <laughs> but um, they're so soft and gentle. And I feel like when I'm picking rose, the rose petals are saying, okay, spread my love. Okay, spread my love. You know, so I, I, I would characterize... Rose's personality as just very loving, which I think most of the country has a good yeah. grasp on that. Yeah, yeah, roses for Valentine's Day and things like this. Um, and let's see what. Oh, lemon balm. So I'm I'm a huge fan of lemon balm uh, right now. It's it's one of my favorite herbs, um, and it's a very, I guess, lively personality. Like you walk past where we're growing our lemon balm and you just get hit with this, this intense smell of lemon that just, for me, just wakes me up and, and lifts my spirits. Even if I'm feeling a little, a little down. Um, yeah, that's, that's just a couple of them. Those are fun. Yeah. yeah. I did have an experience with lavender once that was way more intense than I want to share. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, those are, those are fun. It's, I encourage people to, if they're looking into the growing their own herbs, definitely spend some time with them. It's going to be a good, good time for you. Uh, so 
aside from uh, being surprised by herbs, what are some of the biggest challenges you've encountered with growing and processing and running an apothecary? Hmm. Well, right now, since we are a smaller farm, I would say just keeping on top of everything, making sure that we're harvesting things at the optimal time and um, putting that through the dehydration process and ensuring the utmost quality, which we are trying our absolute best, but um, just juggling uh, all these different herbs, you know, 164, it's, it's no joke, <laughs> especially since I'm still learning all of these things. Um, and, you know, firsthand experience is, is, in my opinion, the best teacher. So um, it's, it's certainly been a, a, a dramatic learning curve. But, um, yeah, I guess that's, that's been the most challenging is just managing all of them. Yeah, timeline's a little constrained when they all want to bloom at the same time, I imagine. Right. <laughs> uh, so let's see here. In terms of the apothecary, what are some challenges? I know you've been, we were talking briefly about your, you're doing a wholesale license. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> explain that for people who might not know, like, the business side of things. How, what does that entail? Like, what are, what are you doing it for? And Right. Uh, yeah, what's the process like? So it's funny because the clarity as to what I was doing it for has not, but did not become apparent until way too far into the process. But um, so for people who don't know, selling and growing botanicals is tricky, these days because there's so many regulations on food and there's so many regulations on pharmaceuticals, but there's no, there's, there's a gray area for botanicals. And, um, what we're trying to figure out, cause we want to, we want to make sure what we're doing is legal, right? It is. I mean, yeah. there's, there's no doubt in my mind, but we want to make sure that we're up to all the regulations. If we are growing something that's considered a noxious weed, that we make sure the the state knows about it and approves it and things like that. And so, um, so yeah, that's one thing. I mean, if you're growing, you, 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 one thing important is that if you are considering growing your own herbs, you want to make sure that um, if you are growing anything that's considered noxious weed, that you get permission through the state for that. Because there's some that aren't, aren't even allowed. Like I think it's, oh, I don't even want to say, I think it's milk thistle that's not allowed in Colorado or something. Um, but just, just double check with your local state laws with, with things like that. Um, so anyway, to, to the wholesale license, there's, there's retail and there's wholesale license. And with the wholesale license, that's like, if you think of Costco or places with bulk herbs and, and spices that you can, you know, scoop out, um, you need a wholesale license in order to sell that bulk product to a place like Costco or to, you know, some other uh, retail venue. And then at that retail venue on that retail level is where you need your retail license to sell from the bulk commodity to the um, consumer. And so for us here at Spearworks, we need both because we are um, growing an apothecary with a whole bunch of herbs in it that we plan on selling to other apothecaries as well and uh, people who can use our herbs as bulk to then turn into whatever product they want or sell it from uh, their own venue. And uh, we also make a bunch of herbal products as well, like jams mm. and, and oxymels. And, um, what is an uh, oxymel? Oxymel is an infused honey. So you can have like a bergamot infused honey or a, what I'm really excited about is a marshmallow root infused honey Whoa. or something like that. Really great for the throat. But um, yeah, so, so that's, that's, that's the difference with, with those two licensing things. But, um, as my role in, in apothecary manager, 
it's <laughs> I feel like every week I learn about a new regulation or a oh, new yeah. oh you need this license to do this thing or you need this person's approval to do this thing and it's it's uh, it's challenging because we're working on a very short time scale for our growing season and so um it's it's just tough. <laughs> it's just tough to, to, to get people those, to understand. Yeah, yeah section sixteen B. Exactly, <laughs> and and also to you know because because we have firsthand experience here with these plants, and our ancestors have been taking them for hundreds and hundreds of years, um, or at least peoples have been taking these plants for hundreds and hundreds of years, and and it's just so frustrating to me that um, there there are these regulations. Um, that are preventing us from growing certain plants that absolutely, with, uh, without a doubt in my mind, have a, have a positive influence on humans if taking it in the proper moderation. Um, and and it's, it's just been a, a, a challenge to try and get people in these roles to understand what we're doing here. No, we're not a pot farm. We're not growing drugs. We're growing plants that aid in wellness. And um, yeah, so, so that's been a bit of a challenge, but... <laughs> yeah. So when you go to a health food store, a lot of the times you'll see the supplement aisles with all those neat little pill bottles all lined up in their uh, capsulated herbs and capsulated supplements, we'll call them that. Uh, what do you see as a driving factor for, for the apothecary, for what you're doing, um, to try to steer people away from using supplement or the, the idea of a supplement versus an actual herb? Right. Um, well, the funny thing is <laughs> the term supplement, because... All that means is that um, it's technically not regarded as a food, so it's something else that has some kind of effect on the human body. <coughs> so technically, we're growing supplements according to the current U.S. law, but um, I, I guess what I would encourage people is that if they are taking supplements, start asking where is that coming from, right? I mean... Sure, maybe you're taking a garlic supplement, but do you think that that garlic supplement is really helping you more than perhaps growing your own garlic? And that way you can experiment with the different varieties because that's something else people also don't realize is that there's a bunch of different kinds of variety of one plant. Like lavender, for example, on this farm alone, we grow 12 different kinds. And that's a small sample of the different varieties and of lavender. Out there. I think. Yeah, it's something like seven hundred. And 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 people <laughs> people think garlic is garlic. There's one type of it, but that's not that's not even true. Um, and so I guess uh, starting with people asking themselves that is is well, okay, what supplement am I taking? What's the purpose of it? And can I grow it myself, or can I get it from a local place where it's a fresh herb? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it's important too for especially if you don't know uh, what may have been sprayed on it. Precisely, yeah. precisely. Yeah. Um, so that <laughs> and uh, again, these days it's tough because so with the word organic, what's nice is that when things are considered organic, you know that there's not, um, for example, Roundup or or these these other types of herbicides or pesticides on the plants. However, the the term organic is still... Um, it's fairly loose. It's loose, right? It, it's not to say that there's no pesticide or herbicide being used. It's just not these ones, these conventional ones that we know, we, we do know, even though people are trying to deny it, we know have negative health effects on humans. And so, yeah, looking looking into that is really important as well. Yeah. Well, cool. Um, 
So are you excited to try to get your, your products further out there and to go to some of these other apothecaries and be like, yeah, that's, we, we grew that. That's mine. I did that. Like, yeah. I mean, from, from my point of view, the more local you can have things, the better. And with, with our herbs, that's certainly what I'm excited for. I'm excited for people to recognize what's going on here and, and that they can source their herbs locally. Um, that being said, though, there are there is a thing called geo-authenticity. So um, certain... Go into that for me for a second. Yeah, if you don't mind, I'm yeah. going to go on a bit of a tangent because, um, again, this is something to consider with botanicals. So every plant has their own growing zone, right? That's not to say that if it's not in your zone, you can't grow it. You certainly can in artificial conditions like a greenhouse or, or what have you. But um, things like Chinese ginseng, for example, they grow well in certain regions of China and you can try and cultivate it here but what that does is it actually try it it actually changes the plants so these different varieties of plants come from growing in different conditions and so certain herbs and certain spices should be grown in a particular area to help preserve that particular variety of that plant um and so that also helps support, in my opinion, the global economy of botanical trade and, and places where they are harvesting this uh, ginseng helps promote, you know, so they get money coming in. And we're not just saying, okay, well, we don't need you anymore. We'll grow our own here. Um, and that being said, actually, ginseng is an interesting, an interesting plant to bring up because it's on the verge of extinction. Um, there's two varieties, the American ginseng and, and Chinese ginseng. And uh, what, how people are harvesting it is, is through uh, wild crafting in the forest, which is just when you go out in the forest and pick these plants, which is fine, but people need to understand that you need to do that sustainably. So, um, How can they do it sustainably if they're yeah. out and just, yeah, go ahead. and For sure. So, so to sustainably wild craft, you want to take no, no more than 20% of, the, of a plant at any given time. So if you're out there, so in northwest Montana, for example, we have a bunch of huckleberries that grow. Huckleberries are like blueberries, but more awesome. <laughs> um, they're great. And the bears rely on them for uh, food for the winter. And uh, if people are going to be picking huckleberries or picking ginseng or picking hawthorn berry trees, whatever it may be, just make sure that you never take more than 20% of that plant at any time and try and take less if you can. You know, we're, if you're an able-bodied person and you like to hike, that's great. You just, you know, pick a, a handful here, a handful there, um, because we don't want to drive these plants into extinction. And we want to make sure that we're helping support the local um, ecology as well. So we don't want to take the bear's food. Yeah. Otherwise, they'll be in your trash cans. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Plus, I know how I get when I'm hungry. So I would hate to see a bear when they're hungry. Like, right. I haven't had my huckleberry. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we were talking about uh, geo-authenticity there for a second. Um, what are some, some red flags for you that if you say, if you see someone growing something, you're like, oh, well, you, you know, maybe... Maybe don't do that one. Like, right. I love this anecdote about if you're going to grow lilac in your yard, you should ask all of your neighbors first because <laughs> it'll be in theirs too. Yeah, um, and I wish I could answer that for you right now, but it's something I'm still working on. Okay. Um, so I don't have any red flags immediately in my head, but I'm starting to gain a little, you know, like goldenrod is pretty prolific. And um, any kind of root like horseradish, you got to, <laughs> wherever you're going to plant horseradish or comfrey or anything with a really thick 
heavy, long taproot, you, you're going to make sure you want you want that for a while because yeah. it's going to be a pain in the booty to, to remove. And, and that's some fun stuff I, I didn't expect to encounter was plants that just don't want to leave when you're trying to, trying to take care of them. But, uh, but yeah. So in terms of noxious weeds and invasive species, uh, this is something I, I briefly touched when I was back in FFA, back in high school, was uh, talking about invasive species of things. Do you see that becoming a problem with growing herbs? Like you said, goldenrod is pretty prolific. Mm -hmm. But I think it's fairly common in this region. Uh, regardless, is there any concern for uh, spreading invasive species? Yeah, certainly. And, and like I said earlier, you want to check with your local and state laws if you're going to be growing anything that's not native. And even if it is native, you want to make sure... Um, that it's not something that's going to overtake the, the um, you know, whatever you're trying to do. But um, what I want people to start thinking about is diversity. Diversity, diversity, diversity. I mean, if there's one thing this farm has, it's diversity. <laughs> in, in terms of pollinators, <laughs> plants. But, I mean, trust me, we have a lot going on here. Um, and I think that's wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. And, and in my opinion, diversity is, is um, directly attributed to environmental health. You know, you need to have all of those uh, different kinds of plants because different kinds of animals prefer the different kinds of plants and it helps support um, the local environment. So, yeah. That's cool. That's something I wouldn't have, wouldn't have thought of. A uh, couple last minute questions here uh, before I have you go ahead and, and say anything that you think would be exciting. So you would talk, we've talked briefly about uh, education and and getting people into... Um, we were just talking about politics with, you know, knowing your current regulations and things like that. What are some ways that you would advocate education with herbs, herbalism? Um, are you, you said books. Mm -hmm. What are some other ways that people can get into it? Um, well, they can check out our website, first and foremost, spiritworksherbs.com. And we have some resources available there for people. And they can always contact us here every Wednesday from 2 to 7. Um, we have open farm hours so they can come and talk to us and we can recommend books. Um, but otherwise, you know, the internet has a lot of information, but sometimes it's not, it's not always the best. So I guess just, just seeing what you have locally in terms of people who, who are perhaps herbalists or at least running apothecaries or, um, into that world at all. That's, that's one way of, of getting your foot in the door with learning about herbs and, and, uh, other related topics. All right. And in terms of educating youth, uh, that's not, you know, we always talk about you know, these young 20-somethings that are coming into it, and they're all excited because it's a new knowledge for them. Mm -hmm. Do you see this as becoming something that's educated more towards uh, children in the future? Um, herbalism, Maybe what I see more, what I would like to see more is people learning how to grow their own food. Hmm. Um, I want, I want to see that in our, in our younger, uh, you know, elementary schools, middle schools, they should, every single one of them should have a garden. Every single one of them should have at least the basic foods, the basic vegetables like zucchini and um, squashes and uh, cucumbers so kids can see where their food comes from because people don't know where their food comes from these days let alone their herbs you know um, and and so I think that would be really critical for the younger generations is to to get literally get their hands in the dirt 
and, and recognize what it takes to grow food. Um, and then what the result is based on what you're doing, um, in terms of cultivating that plant. It's, it's important to have that, that skill set. People always talk about, oh, I don't have a green thumb. Right. <laughs> uh, well, we're going to switch gears into, I want to have you just kind of advocate for whatever you want. Go ahead and give me any plugs. Uh, we talked briefly about some that are important to you. What are you, what are you fighting for? Like what's, what, what are you driving for, towards? Sure. Um, well, I'm pretty passionate about a lot of things, so um, I'll mention a few. One, one is conservation. Um, as I mentioned, and perhaps I've been alluding to it this whole time, but um, conserving the diversity of natural environments is so critical. And there's really not a lot of places left in this country where we have wild places, places where there's very, very small amounts of human population, right? The human populations globally is increasing, and that's putting a lot of pressure on these native environments. And the model in my mind for health is a healthy environment breeds a healthy human population, and those things must coexist to, you know, they balance each other. And um, us as humans are suffocating our local environments and uh, taking away public lands, which I think are so critical, being able to grow up in a place, which I didn't, I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, so this, this is just something I'm seeing now that um, I think would be great for the younger generation to grow up in a place where there is access to wild places, public lands, where they can go and they can recreate in whatever way they see fit and be at one with <laughs> the, you know, to be cheesy, be at one with nature, but, um, no, but, but in all seriousness, see the changing of the seasons in these places and, um, recognizing that this is a special thing that we must conserve. Um, and that once we destroy it, it will not come back like it was. Um, but anyway, so, so there's an organization I worked with this summer called the Montana Conservation Corps, and we actually serve more states than just Montana. Um, and I would highly, highly recommend looking into their program if perhaps you're looking for a job. I was a youth crew leader, so I took high school students out um, for a month at a time, and we did different conservation projects to help protect the public lands and um, promote conservation, and we, some folks worked in Glacier National Park. Um, but, yeah, so, so conservation, first and foremost. Um, but, but also, as we mentioned about education, I, I think people should be more aware about what's happening um, with our education system because in a lot of other parts of the world, they're doing much, much better job at teaching their younger people how to live good, healthy, full lives. And uh, I do not think we're achieving that. Um, and also, I'm very passionate about our rights as human beings on this planet. Mm -hmm. I think first and foremost, we have a right to clean water uh, that's not polluted by you know industry and things like this. And... Um, there's a lot of awesome organizations out there that are helping clean up water, um, and people should look into what's going on in their local environment. If you're near some kind of you know industry that's polluting the water, maybe there's something you can do to help that situation. Um, but you know, water's not. It, there's no boundary line to water. It gets into the groundwater tables and then spreads everywhere. So. Things like Roundup, these herbicides that we're spraying on, on these plants, that's getting into our water. And even though you might be miles away from a farm, you're still feeling those effects of those chemicals in your water. 
Um, also growing your own food. I think humans have a right to seeds and humans have a right to be able to grow their own food and save their own seeds. That's something that's a no-brainer to me, but apparently um, these seed companies think isn't important anymore. So um, a lot of the seeds people are buying are treated with chemicals and also not able to produce their own uh, seeds to ensure that there's a hardy crop for the next season. So looking into things like that. Um, also women's rights. <laughs> no, I'll no, stop it is, it is but, but it's important, you know, like local um, family planning centers are being shut down because people think, oh, they do abortion there. They're bad and evil, but there's a lot of really of, of good going on in those places. And there are places of support for young women that are perhaps in a situation where they don't have um, they don't have that kind of support. Not all of us are so lucky. And so if, if people have time, volunteering at those centers is, is a really great way to um, help with your community. Awesome. Yeah. Well, cool. I, I think that wraps up everything for us. Is there anything else that you want to uh, kind of advertise for the, for the future? Anything upcoming for you? That... Um, well, I guess stepping back into, into the farm. Yeah, so there's a lot going on here at SpiritWorks Herb Farms. Um, you can keep subscribe to our website if you just go on our website and, and subscribe there or shoot us an email, give us a call, come on Wednesdays 2 to 7. Um, there's some EMT courses coming up, wilderness, uh, what is it, like different certification courses. And we just had a regenerative agriculture mm-hmm. course. Um, so, yeah, stay tuned for what's going on here at the farm and come out, check out our apothecary and see what we have going on. We'd love to share it with you. Awesome. Well, yeah. thanks for thanks for having, uh, being on my podcast. I appreciate you coming out today. Yeah, thank you, Todd. Yeah. All right. Thank you for joining us in another episode of Growing for Good. We hope you learned all about plants, especially herbs. Megan was great today talking about what it takes to grow herbs, having a stock apothecary, and really what it means to tame the nature of the feast. Anyway, make sure you check out links in the bio, and uh, be sure to give their Facebook page a like, and we'll join you next time on another episode of Growing for Good.